Ladies and gentlemen, this is your places call. All right, everybody, back to one. Standby lights one and sound one. Camera speeding. Audio speeding. Lights and sound. Go. And action. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome back to Pretend World's Real People, the (laughs) ultimate podcast where arts arts workers come together, get tongue tied, and share. (laughs) Stories in wonderful, genuine conversation. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Tyler. <laughs> and I'm your other host, Stephanie. Um, and we have a amazing uh, episode for you today. I reached out to a woman I worked with um, on the uh, Sarah Bareilles musical Waitress um, in Boston a few years ago. Um, and she is this awesome uh production manager at the colonial theater and also just uh has done tons of different stuff in the uh live entertainment world um mercedes roman manson is here today uh welcome to the show thanks for joining us hi thanks for having me yeah (laughs) um will you uh we'll just jump right in will you tell our listeners who you are and what you do yeah, my name is Mercedes Roman Manson. Mercedes like the car is what I usually tell people. I love it. Um, and I am a currently a production manager in Boston for Ambassador Theater Group that operates the Colonial Theater. And then I do some other smaller projects on the side. Cool. And what does production manager mean? Uh, I I uh, always tell people that I manage artistically created chaos. So <laughs> stage managers get all the fun creative actor side stuff so they get in addition to designers and directors they get the actors we get in production management all of the production value stuff so anything that lights up audio scenic moves um and the designers uh we manage that part of it so a lot of it's you know budgeting and figuring out like oh you have this beautiful little set in a box that you bring to you know a walkthrough talk through and then i figure out like is it really going to actually happen that way? How can, mm-hmm. how can it, how, how can it sit on the, fit on the stage? How can it, you know, move? How can it do stuff? And then um, just manage it in process. But for what I do now, it's less of that because we're a rental house. So we're a touring mm. building and a pre-Broadway right. jump. We do a lot of pre-Broadway shows. Um, so mine is managing production managers that come in being the uh, support for them in Boston. So whenever they're here, how they can um, be, work safely in the building, not destroy my building in the process, <laughs> and have a good show. So now it's a little bit more like um, a venue manager. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. That sounds, well, like you said, it sounds chaotic, but have you noticed that there's a, is there a difference in collaboration now that you are operating as a more of a venue space? Um, you know, whereas yes. before, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, if you, if you could go in, cause I'm on the, you know, I'm on the film side and it, it seems like film sets and theater, um, productions have a lot of similarities, but especially right now during COVID, like what, what are some of the changes you've seen in, you know, managing those productions as primarily a venue manager these days? Um, well, it's so funny. So my husband is in TV film, right? So we talk about it all the time because he's oh, on that awesome. end now. He used to he used to be in theater. He still does theater once in a while, but he's in um, the Studio Mechanics Union. He's a programmer. Um, and so uh, what I find now is that it's about creating an environment that um, fosters the creativity and the process they need as guests in a building, right? So mm-hmm. Ambassador Theater Group is a British company that owns or operates many theaters in the UK. That's, that's their primary setup. And then they come, they came to the U S and they started investing in U S venues. 
and they believe in the entire process being about you're you're uh, not a, like uh, you're not a patron, you're not a renter, you're a guest. So we treat it like it's a guest experience from the back of house and front of house. So now is in this job and doing more venue management stuff, it's about how to keep people safe, which is going to really carry into when we're able to reopen for COVID and like how to um, allow people to feel like they're in a space where they can be home away from home for the period of time they're in. Because sometimes it's like a you know one week hit. It's like one week of you know, Dear Evan Hansen, and sometimes it's four months of Moulin Rouge. It's so it's it's kind of all, yeah. I mean, it was four months in the building, so um, it's a lot. It's, it's all over the place. I mean, David Burns American Utopia that was you know like two months. So it's mm. it's it can be a lot of stuff. Wow. Yeah. And also, I'm assuming, especially because you're in Boston, and it's called the Colonial Theater, which makes me think it's pretty historic. Is there some yeah. fun elements to that as well, in the sense that it's an old building? Oh man, it's I call it a grand dam. I'm like, <laughs> she's a grand dam. She she's super finicky. I, I know everyone's like, why does her gender have to be female? They always ask me, like, why is she feeling like her? She's like, she's like you know the dowager mm-hmm. aunt, right? So she's always kind of crabby and always has an opinion. Um, they did a, a huge amount of work to make her usable. She used to be a hemp house, they oh. used to be a hemp house for a very long time. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with hemp houses, but they make doing a show. So imagine no line sets and everything is Oof. sandbags and rope. <laughs> and it makes everything so complicated. The guys that did, that did it were incredibly talented, like the stagehands and the TDs that figured out how to make it work. But as we do shows that have automation and pieces like that, it's just, too, you need a grid, you need like a really sizable weight capacity, you need to be able to do so. And so they put a huge amount, ambassadors specifically, a, a lot of money into making it a usable space. So the bones are a little bit newer. Her, and, and she's had a little cleanup, uh, you know, she's had a lot of paint redone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a whole new um, rehearsal, not rehearsal, uh, dressing room space, a big tower. It's all brand new dressing rooms, which is really, it's so funny because when the actors come in, they're like, this is so new. And there's showers in every room. <laughs> oh, no, wow. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's it's 14 dressing rooms. So it's a lot of, um, they feel very fancy and it's only been open since 2018, since May, 2018. So um, people get really excited when they come in and they're like, this is like really nice. But at the same time, like you go in the building and there's some like really old parts to it. So, it, right. you know, you, we, we keep a lot of stuff that's original. And then also has some nice newer pieces to it. Was it built <laughs> as a theater when it was originally built? 1900, built for wow. Ben-Hur. Um, and it was a Ben-Hur with live horses. So we have a sub-basement, which is now not really used. We are planning to try and use it if we do some renovation work in the you know distant future. But there's a sub-basement. That's where the horse stables were. And so they had oh, horses that lived down there. We had three sectionable um a, a movable um, elevator so the horses would get at the elevator at the sub and then were hand cranked up to the top and then they had essentially like a, a gag where the horses would run and it was you know like a little spinning you know like you're doing a walker right but they would just run they'd run on it and it had two pieces so it would move so it looked like the ground was moving that's cool in 1900, I mean, it was like 1900 to 1903. Yeah. It ran in New York. It ran, it did, toured at one point. Wow. Like a big, big Ben-Hur. That's amazing. Uh, I had a random thought of, uh, is there any such thing as ghost horses in this, uh, this venue? <laughs> I'll tell you, if, if there are, it, it, I mean, the amount of, there are definitely ghosts in there because I've seen them and you hear them all the time. Oh. Um, 
and it, uh, there are like sometimes just like bumps and I, we're also we have, we're surrounded by other buildings right we have a dorm <laughs> above us way above us emerson store so I'm always like, I always claim, it says the horses, like the horses are mad. I'm like, someone better go feed those horses. And, and I'll have someone that's like, that's not funny. Like someone that doesn't like ghosts will get upset at some point when I say that. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Wait, that's how many say, ghosts it's, it's, are there? Well, there's there's an old lady that we've seen. There are two stagehands that are up on the grid that have been noticed on days where we don't have any people working. So dark day Mondays. Um, I've stayed in the building at like three in the morning to lock up post a strike and they've been up there and I know all my guys are gone and I'm the only one in there and I I'm cool with it because mm-hmm. I went to Emerson and the Majestic which is next door is haunt open in ni- 1911 I think also haunted like knowingly haunted right so um less so now because they've done renovation work that I think kind of broke whatever was going on in there but um yeah it's um it's you know there's there's also I think a front of house folks that kind of wander the building yeah uh, i'm I down gotta... with ghosts i mean i grew up in an old house yeah like, yeah yeah just got i love that every theater has a ghost story you know i mean maybe not the brand new ones but the the all the good classics have a have yeah. a nice ghost you know it's kind of like part of theater culture i feel like that's why <laughs> when i work at art mm-hmm. i make fun of them because i'm like not, ghosts don't even like your building yeah like ghosts don't even like your building and they're like, well, it's not really old enough. And I was like, well, also, like, who would want to hang out at the Lobe? Like, right, right. That's hilarious. Some pretentious ghost walking by. No, 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 no. Mm. We, we yep. don't stay oh, there. Tyler, <laughs> have you ever seen that space? It's like, it's like a, it's like a 1960s, like community theater style where it's like layered oh. seating, but it's very, it's a time capsule. It's very much a time capsule. Yep. And um, while it's very, you know, kind of flexible for certain things, there are other things you go in there and you're like, what is going on here? It's crazy. Yep. That's why they're building a whole new one, I think. I know. That'll they be are interesting. In Boston. Yeah. They really? Things are whole. Yeah. They're they're moving to the Alston side, so across the river, which oh, wow. if you're from Boston, that's a big deal. Like me working at ART was a big deal because I never crossed the river for work. Like I'm that mass hole because I, yeah. I grew up in Boston. I grew up in Brookline. So I like avoided going over there. I was like, oh, I should cross the river. It's horrible. My husband, when he picked me up from late nights, he'd be like, I love you so much. I crossed the river. To come pick you up. <laughs> um, and now they're going to go on the other side and be over near um, Harvard's um, athletics buildings and and um, where they do Boston Calling and stuff. So they'll be, they'll be over on that side, which will change, I think, for them a lot of how they operate because they'll be um, in, in Boston. They'll be yeah. in Austin. So it'll be a little different on their operations. Yeah. I'm excited. Like new theaters to me. I get excited. Like invest, invest in arts, please. We need spaces. Yes. Yeah. Especially now (laughs) in the last year or so, I think I've noticed a a huge like influx of people just donating whatever they can to keeping those alive because you you need the art to survive. And uh, what did, like, what was your, uh, I guess, point of origin, so to speak, finding this, you know, turn in your career? Did you always want to be on the production side? Like what, what sparked your interest in, in theater? I got to know. I'm the most, other than my brother, who Stephanie also mm-hmm. knows, um, we're the most anti-theater theater people, right? We didn't <laughs> grow up theater people. We didn't. My mom likes theater. Like she mm-hmm. likes theater, but um, I didn't take acting classes in high school. I, I was an athlete and I, and kind of a slacker. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? So yeah. Um, and so I'm like that kid that always was like, had such potential, is so lazy. Like that was my like report card every year. 
Like I can yes. do all the stuff. Do I really want to really? do it? No. Um, so uh, I did music. I was really into music. Like live music to me was a big thing. As is my brother. Um, he's really into music. And so I did production in in high school to kind of get credits and like to hang out backstage and be able to slack off without people noticing because you could hang out in the green room and in the tech spaces and like they were like oh she's working and I'd be like reading a book or a magazine or like listening to something on my on my disc men because I'm that old um but just hiding essentially just hiding and so I kind of like theater but was not like I didn't know you could do it for a living I didn't know there were colleges that had it outside of acting programs I was like nah and I can't memorize text so like people like oh you try acting I was like you should see me try to memorize any kind of like dialogue it's ridiculous I can't do it (laughs) and so I thought about I like drafting I really like drafting um I like design industrial design stuff so I was doing some drafting classes and in high school and I um was like oh I'll be an architect and then I found out how much school was involved and lazy me was like yeah I won't make it past like four years and someone said you should look at scenic design like you could work in theater there's people and I said my answer was literally like there are schools that do that I didn't know and so I had a lovely uh, mentor um in high school that got me uh got like school applications and I transferred all of my architecture applications I'd applied to like Tulane it was like eight schools I'd applied to um to to theater schools and uh Emerson gave me a huge um really nice scholarship based off of a very smart portfolio, like a small portfolio, but they thought that it was interesting that I didn't have a background in it and was interested in it. I think they were like, oh, maybe we can get some more people in the program. So I went to Emerson um, and uh, very quickly decided I didn't like scenic design and didn't really care what the sets looked like. I liked the research part and I liked the drafting part, but I didn't care, but I liked electrics and my dad was an electrician. He's a contractor. And so I was like, I can wire stuff and I know how they work. And I like the math like the nerdy math of lighting. So I went and did that. And so I changed the lighting design and then realized I didn't want to be a designer, didn't care what it looked like. I like <laughs> concerts. I didn't like theater uh, as much. And so I was like, oh. And so I took a leave of absence my junior year. I was like, just not happy. Mm-hmm. And um, took a leave of absence and uh, did some outside, did like concert work and discovered I this whole industry that we have outside of theater. And I was like, this is really cool. But I always like theater. Like I like I like the idea of what we create and how it connects to people. Like I love the, what we can do in it. I just don't always love the shows. Like people love Hamilton. I hate Hamilton. I'm that mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. So people are always like, you're so lucky. And I was like, I hate that show. I like the turntable mm-hmm. and I love the tech part of it. I was like, I can't sit through the show. I had friends that worked on it. And I was like, I can't sit through your show. I'm so sorry. I was like, but it looks cool. And you do an awesome job. Nothing stopped. Like, I love it. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> it's so, it's so refreshing too, because like, I know that you don't, having worked with you before I know that you don't like it because like it's just so not your thing whereas I feel like there are some people out there that have to say they hate it because they don't want to be like everybody else who actually and you know what I mean like I I can see you actually not really liking Hamilton (laughs) I know it's so funny waitress was an exception though we'll talk about this but waitress was an exception because um I I I didn't really know a lot of the players I had I had heard Jesse's name but didn't really know her and all these people were like oh you're working on this show I had come off of um doing live event work for a very long time and was getting back into theater and was working at the, for the Huntington and needed like a summer gig and um and my brother got on that run and he and, and we had worked at the Huntington together for a while and we love working together it's like we have so much fun work because we screw around all the time mm-hmm. and so um we were he was like you should get on the show and they needed a flyman 
and I, and I had worked there one other time and had had a horrible experience. And I was like, cool, but I had done, done a different department. So I said, sure. And then Henning hired me and he's like, you know, you're really overqualified for this. And I'm like, dude, I just want to like be a flyman and not be in charge of something and just do my thing and like not have to do a lot. And I had the best time on that show. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, you're going to hate it. You're going to hate Diane. You're going to hate all this stuff. You're just not, you know, a lot of stuff's going to happen. I had friends that had worked through Neverland mm-hmm. and had lived through the Neverland experience, and which is notoriously was a rough show to do. And then I sat that first week of tech and was like, this is awesome. This is like, I could do this for four months, which is yep. what we did. Yep. You were great. also, you were on the other side of the stage for me too. So I didn't get to see you very much, but you kind of, I feel like there was a lot less that happened over there. Um, and I was 100%. the one running around with like a chicken with my head cut off. <laughs> you had, it's so funny because Keela and I, and and Ricky when he was on that side like we would just sit on our phones and like yep. they were doing the plank thing and like we're just hanging out and we'd look over and you guys were like running around yep. and I would feel so bad and then I'd be like you guys good and then was it Michael who's the AT who was the ASM that was on my side oh like, I don't even remember his name but he was useless he, he would always be like don't worry about yeah he'd be like don't worry about Jason. it don't, go, don't worry about them Jason he'd be like don't worry about them and I was like well I do because it's just naturally how my brain works as right. a production manager I'm like why is this so inefficient like why are we so inefficient at this <laughs> problem and I'm like you gotta turn it off you gotta turn it off and then because Kiala I was would the one me. carrying that show on the SFT <laughs> Kiala would catch me all the time being like are you all right are you trying to do some math? And I was like, I'm trying to figure out why they, why they can't move that one piece. Like, what, the, what is going on over there? And she's like, why don't you just go over there? I'm like, I'm not allowed to. And then she'd be like, you should go over there. You should go over there and fix it. And then Ricky would be like, I'll, I'll be right back. And then Ricky would come over and figure out what's going on. So, uh, yeah, that was that show. I mean, it is so funny because it was it was a great show. It was just, it could have gone so much more smoothly if minds had connected properly, but it's all right. It's in the past. Tyler, I'm going to, I'm going to let you in on a, on a secret of, of, of working with Diane Paulus. And this is a known fact. She, she likes eight different ways to do something and she'll always pick the first one. So you yep. spend a tech process, which is totally yeah. her right. Like I, I'm not bashing her because these processes do take time and you want to see all your options, but you sit there knowing you're going to run this one thing eight times, eight, nine yep. times and at the end of it. She'll just go with the first one. Yep. Like, Let's go back to the way it was before. And you're like, okay. And yep. so that process, when you're doing it for months, you sit there and you're just like, we've already done this section. I thought we were all set with this section. And they're like, no, we don't like the timing. And we look at it. And she's like, no, nah, it'll never work out. Let's just go back. And then you're yep. like, okay. And then boop, 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 you're like writing in your notes the eight times that you scratched it out. Yep. Oh, yeah. It's, it's the same way. It's the same thing with uh, commercial work in, in Denver. 100%. It's so much fun. But the first thing you do is going to be that circle take, so to speak, the one that they want to pick. But I, I'm so used to the, all right, do, do, we're going to spend about 45 minutes practicing this. But I couldn't imagine yeah. doing that for months and then them saying, you know what? <clears throat> I'm thinking about it. That, that first thing we do was, was better. <laughs> Let's stick with that. Cool. I'm going to go punch something that's yeah. hard and probably <laughs> horrible for my knuckles. <laughs> I think if we'd had a different group of people backstage, it would have been a lot more horrible. We had like a really interesting and fun group of, it is really a a unique show. I thought it was for given kind of like what we were doing. And um, I think the artist, the main artist being so positive and kind of like wanting it to be a positive experience changed a lot of what is usually a very stressful situation. Um, She saved my life in this the, her and then jesse like when i when they wanted to have real money on stage as a prop and i was like that terrifies me i had to go to jesse and be like 
please tell them that this is a terrible idea. And she was like, yeah, I don't want to have a bunch of different kinds of bills on stage. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> she's like, I don't like this. <laughs> also, it be like $600 I had to be in charge of every night. Also, day. If they're looking at the money, if an act, right. you've got if you've got people in your audience and they're going, well, that money's not real. Yep. Like, you got other issues in your show. Yep. And they're yeah. being like, those aren't real dollar bills. There's never really dollar bills on the exactly. stage. Like, come on. Oh, yeah, man. she she did a show at the Colonial. She did. She came with Seth Rudesky and did like a night with Jesse oh, awesome. kind of thing. And I laughed because I gave her a high five every night for four months. And I'm like, she's not going to remember who I am. And she looked at my face and my hair was a lot longer. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I know you. And I said, yeah, we said we did waitress together in Boston. And she's like, you, you and you. And, you. and then she hadn't seen the tattoos. So I oh, had a shirt because yeah. my arms are covered. Tyler, just to understand. So I have like a lot of very noticeable tattoos. If people work with me, they'll always remember the tattoo and not my face, which I think is very funny. <laughs> but she was like, oh, you have a brother, you and Ricky. So she knew Ricky's name because Ricky's everyone's best friend, right? So, and then she was like very chatty and like kept going about what a great experience it was. And we had like a really lovely time, but it That's was like awesome. the first time I'd kind of seen an artist afterwards. Mm-hmm. Out of a couple of people at the Huntington and had, had like really positive experiences with them post show. Do you have any so. tattoos that garnered you a nickname on set? Like no, if somebody had no. to, it was just always your name. Okay. They're all, so, um, I live, so my mom is um, like Boston Irish Catholic eh. and my dad's from Mexico. And so I get split tattoos. So I will get the Mexican, I will get like, um, I have like Dia de los Muertos on one arm and I'll have like an Irish side. So I, a lot of it's just splits and I like pairs cause I have uh, an issue with, with symmetry. <laughs> so I'll oftentimes have pairs of things. Um, it's just a lot of color and line work, but yeah, yeah. no, I have like very random stuff. That's awesome. Not as much as my brother, my brother has like, a, uh, my brother has, does um, horror. I say he's a big <laughs> horror fan. And so he has like the, um, the zombie Christopher Walken. Like he has that as a tattoo mm-hmm. from Zombieland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> And Bill Murray, he has zombie Bill Murray, and he has like Wu Tang tattoos all over the place. Oh yeah, covered. Wow. Yeah. This guy's like my spirit animal. He got. Um, I'd never get he... that tattooed on me. <laughs> <laughs> you should see. It's so funny because like when he started getting them, he was getting them like on his arms and his legs. Like we, like I had because I got them first, right? Because I'm seven years older, <laughs> and then they started creeping up, and I was like, oh god, this is not. I'm like, what are you gonna do for a living? Because he wasn't doing theater at the time, and he was doing other stuff. He was working for Harmaloop. He was doing like a bunch of rap stuff. And um, and then he started working in theater, and I was like, "Oh, you're fun." Yep. <laughs> oh man, yeah. And he's one of the funniest guys I think I've ever worked with. He really is everyone's best friend when he works on, as crew. Um, it was yeah. He, you guys having you guys on that show, I think, is also a, was a huge saving grace for me too. I was like, two competent people that are like super cool. <laughs> What's so funny because both of us kind of came into it being like we want the show to work but we're mm-hmm. not like our vested interest was like did we do our job can we go home right and all these other people were so stressed out like it's a, they hadn't done a pre-broadway show before which is always complicated if you've never done these jump shows and like you know there's a big high stake and a lot of people and like a famous person sarah was there you know many days and 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 i was just kind of like reading my book and they'd be like oh she's doing this thing and i'm like i don't fucking care she's like a human mm-hmm. being why don't you guys just leave her alone mm-hmm. and it was just so funny because ricky's like sarah asked him what if he had a favorite song and he goes no offense i don't even know what songs you write like i don't know who you are <laughs> like he didn't he didn't there's no filter yeah and, and he was like what and he's like if you got some rap stuff i probably he's like you done like any kind of like collabs work anything i might know and she was like no 
and then she's like i like you and he's like well i'm not gonna lie to you and tell you i like a song i don't like yeah. and then she asked me the same question i was like i don't really do my husband loves you i was like i'm not really into um that kind of music no offense and she was like oh okay and i was like you do some food fighter stuff we might have some yeah. and, um, <laughs> Some more rocky but she's so nice like she was like yeah she goes, she goes she was. are you two related and i was like well yeah we're the only two covered in tattoos so <laughs> obviously we're related yeah we were then the roman siblings for the rest of that show yep <laughs> well and it's so funny because you look so much like your mom and he looks so you much look so like much your like dad, dad that like yes. you, you you look like siblings but also you don't at all because he's much more mexican <laughs> <laughs> yes and it's really funny until we laugh and then we have some more yeah. laughs and we and we we laugh very loudly and so people are always like you guys are lying and then we laugh and then like nope you're related like, there okay. is. <laughs> also like i mother him because we're i'm so much older so if we're backstage i'll be like dude are you gonna eat like eat your you need to eat something and he'll be like leave me alone and then that someone goes you guys are so weird and i was like listen he's like my kid like i need to make sure he's eating his lunch because then he gets like a little blood sugar and i have to like sneak him snacks backstage with, like little gummy bears and like eat this pack of hair boo because you're being crabby and then someone's like you guys are ridiculous yeah. so is, is he a fan of hamilton then if, no. if you're not oh, okay i wasn't sure if there was some no. sort of weird contrast there he's like i love hamilton no but he does love he does love other shows that i'm like he was really interested in spider-man when spider-man was out yeah. and i was and i had gone to a preview and watched it epically fail and was like what whose idea was this <laughs> like why are we doing these shows you know wasn't like almost was like, every cast I'm, member injured in that show a lot of them and yeah. and it was like a whole set of previews where just they couldn't get stuff functioning they couldn't get the automation was so complicated they went through so many so much staff just were like frustrated because the expectations were so high mm. and the timelines weren't great and it was a huge amount of money at stake and but it it felt like it almost people started going because they wanted to see it fail like oh 100 yeah that's why i went yeah i mean I, wouldn't, <laughs> I, I mean i'm a huge i'm a comic book nerd like ricky and i are huge comic book people so like yeah and so he, Spider-Man's a big thing for him growing up. And I used to read him. Um, the short story is that he's dyslexic and that's how we got him to read. So when he was younger, we were having a hard time with him getting um, his reading comprehension up, but he loves comic books. So I would go to New England comics and buy him Marvel and DC comics all the time. And that's how he learned how to read. And it's so funny because if you, he, he draws backstage, he draws all the time. You can't like, if he's not doing something you'll catch him drawing on like his notes for shows. Um, it was always like comic book characters or he mm -hmm. writes in that very specific lettering font. It's very, yep. it's very, you can see how much it impacts his life. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, we would, um, the Spider-Man, I was like, oh, I got like, he was like, who makes Spider-Man a musical? It's going to be really interesting. And then um, when he heard about what was happening, he's like, I really want to go see that show. But I, I couldn't get him in. I had one <laughs> ticket. So I went and uh, I was just like, uh. oh my God. And it was one of the nights where it was like a, like a 30 minute stop. And I was oh, like, oh my Lord. I'm so glad I'm not on the show. Uh, Holy crap. Wow. unbelievable yeah all i kept thinking about was like how horrible it must have been backstage like i just think about like those oh, yeah, yeah. Like, production management and stage management and company management being like sorry guys you're stuck in that harness forever yeah i wonder if we could find anybody who worked on that show to come on i know right we'll have to <laughs> we'll have to investigate Ugh. um what are some of the favorite your favorite shows that you have done and and, and i oh, guess God. also how did you move from Maybe we'll start with this question. How'd you move from doing lighting stuff? And then, cause you kind of said you stopped, you took a break. Um, how did you get to the colonial as production manager? So 
when I left Emerson, I eventually went went back and did classes. Like, but I just knew I was putting myself through school. Like at the end of it, it was my money, and I was like, right. I gotta get out of this. Um, so I um, left and I did some concert stuff, and then I came back to Boston after doing some work. And um, one of the rental companies, High Output, who I had rented from as a college student and was doing like more production stuff, larger like event services. Um, had a shop and I needed some money. So I was like, cool. So I went and I worked in the shop, like just, you know, tuning units and doing cable and stuff like that. Really mindless, but great. The best people I met. And, and then I met my husband who worked in the shop and what was supposed to be a one-year job um, became like a 10-year job because I became very comfortable. I met my husband there, all my friends worked there and it was a family and I dug it. And back in the day, we had a shop in Alston. We would, you know, Friday night drinking club. It was very like, you know, late nineties, hanging out, seeing shows, people that worked in bands, like people that were musicians worked in the shop on the film side. Cause we had a, we had a TV event. We had a theater event side and then a film TV side. Cause they were a rental house and they had studios. So they would do um, shoots in the studios. So we would just hang out and it was like a good time. And so I did that for 10 years and then realized that I, and Gordon had left. He had like gone to do, he had like, <laughs> he's like, I'm leaving to do TV film. And so I stayed behind. We moved to Canton, Mass, which is further out. And the dynamic changed. And then I just realized that I kind of stayed because I was comfortable and I was just like unhappy. And then the recession happened in 2009 and I got let go. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were so lovely about it. They gave me a severance package and they wanted to make sure I was good. And I had freelance at the Huntington on like my, I would take days off from one job to go do a load in because I just wanted to do theater. I wanted to like go hump some lights and some cable and like be with those people. It's non-union house, so it was easy to do. So I went there and I, I had done that and they had just lost their um, master electrician who had worked for me and I had gotten him the job at the Huntington and then he had, let, he had worked there for a while and he left to go do cruise ships. It was a really great job on cruise ships. And I they had I had interviewed for the job and then been like, oh, I can't, I can't leave high out, but it's too short notice. And then I got let go and I was like, oh, damn it. They had hired someone oh. that we knew that who was lovely and is still there. Um, and but her job was open as a house electrician at one of the spaces. And I was like, yeah, I'm just gonna go do that. So I called the um, the GM who I knew. And she's like, you know, this doesn't pay nearly as much as you make now. And I'm like, I don't care. It's gonna work. And I'll, I'm happy to go back to theater. And I just went back to being a house electrician. I was like, cool, I know how to do this. It involved programming and I knew how to program on consoles. So I went back and it just was a board op essentially and a house electrician for one of their... Um, a building that has like three spaces in it and so I did that and then I stayed there for another like seven years <laughs> but I freelanced because it was a season contract so you could go and do other stuff so I did like the Rockettes down in Nashville oh, so nice. I did that for six years I'd go down to Nashville for a month and hang out and do the Rockettes at the Grand Old Opry it was the best time that's amazing paid, you know my flights I was an ALD so I was just doing paperwork which I love it was like so mindless but the <laughs> I came out the best relationships came out of that like really good, like long-standing relationships came out of that company. And I would just do whatever shows were in town. I do rock shows sometimes. I do overhire. I do occasional like TV film work if there was like some, you know, just pumping cable kind of stuff. And um, and then I got that, I did waitress and it was kind of like unexpected. And I, you know, was like, cool. And then after that, I was like, I thought it was a one and done. And then their TD, Steve, realized how much I could do. And I was, I was really good at rigging and could do the math and knew how to do that. And they're like, we need someone like that. Maybe she'll come and do occasional load in. So I did that for a bunch. I did, you know, uh, Comet and stuff like that. And then Jagged Little Pill started and they were like, I'd left the Huntington and Jagged needed an automation programmer. And he's like, can you do that? And I said, sure. 
So I went and I learned the Hudson system, which I had seen one other time and, and was doing, and it was not a pleasant experience. I had uh, the opposite of waitress essentially. Oh, no. Really lovely people, really great, the cast and, and their folks were lovely. I just did not have a good time with what okay. I was doing. And then I had applied for the colonial job, never heard anything. And then a friend of mine from the Huntington who worked there, who I didn't realize worked there as their AGM called me and said, hey, can you come in from an interview? I said, sure. And they said, he said, well, you're on, you're on Jagged. When do you, when can, when can you get in here? And I was like, well, I have a dark day on Monday. So I guess I'm coming on Monday. So I worked like a you know, 92 hour week in tech on that Monday went for a 10 a.m. It was supposed to be like a short interview. It was four hours long. What? Seven different people. Cause they introduced me to everyone that was in there. Plus the New York folks that were uh, there. Moulin Rouge was loading in. So they were trying to like show me the entire space and had to do these interviews around Moulin Rouge having, you know, load-in issues because they were putting automation in and lighting that day. So I interviewed on a Monday, uh, Friday, they called me and said, hey, we want to hire you. When can you start? And I was like, well, I still have to get the other show open. I can't, I'm the only person that knows how to program this thing. I'd have to like train someone else. So I got Jagged open in like three weeks and then I jumped. I, I nice. replaced myself on the show run. Um, Lucas was the other automation right. person so he became head of automation of the two of us we replaced me and then i ran and and, and like ground running started on moulin rouge um right away and they had just finished they were just finishing loading and going into tech when i started wow yeah it just sounds like i don't know it's it sounds very daunting to me like how how long does the the um like programming and tech side take i know it depends on each show but like what's the average amount from like all right we got to start planning the show to the first run of tech rehearsals how long does that usually go for it can go anywhere from i mean loading could be anywhere on a three broadway show from like two weeks to a month depending like Mm -hmm. moulin rouge was almost a month i think of loading for them because they were building set pieces and then driving them from new york so Mm -hmm. the set wasn't done and they asked because we were still in a construction time at the colonial they were still doing all the front of house mosaics and it was still getting renovated for reopening they were able to do a lot more in there than they would usually be able to do in any kind of house they were building into things that we removed whole sections of seating didn't go in i mean it was a lot of stuff um line sets got pulled out that we don't usually do that um and so they that was a, a kind of extreme version of it if you do like a standard show it's probably like two weeks wow two weeks tops and then i mean the planning goes on for months but it's two weeks of physically getting it in and you said that Moulin Rouge was like four months. Uh, how is it working on like a quick tour show where it's maybe there for like a week or two um, or even a weekend versus that long four month stint? Like, how does that affect you? I think the relationships you make are a little different, right? So mm-hmm. you, I have, I have this, as you know, this ability, like I like to chat with people and kind of like get to know them. So I've, I've had the, the joy of like, of someone coming in for like a week and then me staying friends with them, like still mm-hmm. talking to them and hanging out with them. And like, we just work with some really talented people. And I like to kind of, I like knowing where people are going so I can find them maybe later on to hire them or see what they're doing. So one week, I just want to make sure you're in because it takes a one day, right? So if you're on a, say you're on a BAA tour, you've got eight hours to get your show in up and running physically. And those guys do that stuff like gangbusters. They know exactly what they have to do to get it in. They get it all up. We open on a Tuesday. Usually Monday is a travel day. Tuesday is load-in day. They open on a Tuesday and then they run to Sunday. And over that week, you can notice, especially because they're in Boston, everything's accessible. So they go on adventures. They'll come in and be like, hey, what museum should I go to? What restaurant should I eat to? And you spend a lot of time kind of like helping them out. Like, where do I send people? Where do I get stuff? You know, they have packages delivered. 
usually the week before. So we're like doing package deliveries and getting them. And at the same time, you're prepping for whatever's coming next or the next like four shows or sometimes 10 shows um, if we're really busy. On a pre-production, on a pre-Broadway show, because you know they're in for so long, you're not thinking the same. You're kind of like, mm. how do I get them in? Like what, because their shows always tend to be bigger. They're larger size shows. And we're trying to figure out how to do, accomplish whatever they want to accomplish. If you're something like um, Plaza Suite, there's a water portion to it. So you have to figure out how the water is going to work. Where's the water coming from? How are you going to clean it? And you're working with their TD. You're figuring out like how much your building can really take because the buildings don't match. We're, our building is luckily the same size to a sister space, which is the Hudson in New York. So we tend to jump that way a lot. Um, but you, you know, you spend a lot of time figuring out like permits. So Moulin Rouge was like weeks of permits. They had 50 wow. plus types of material that had to get permitted plus confetti. And Boston is one of the hardest cities to work in for that stuff. So I spent so much time with them, walking them through the process of like their permitting and then working them. There's something called a passerelle, which is um, little cafe seats. So if you look at the show, they had cafe seats and around it was a walkway that locked in. And in Boston, you can't do that because if there was a fire, how would the people on the inside get out? Mm. And so this like walkway that they use for a lot of different pieces of the show, we had to work with the fire department to figure out like how the, the emergency releases would work. The ushers would oper operate these emergency releases so that the, the the walkways would open and close because they do during the show they actually open like this so it's just a lot of like semantics and just like where did the trucks go we have a shared alley how do i get i mean they had 24 trucks like semi trucks so it was like figuring out semi trucks and then quick delivery trucks and like how do they do it and i have teamsters in the building so every time a truck comes in i have to have teamsters it's a lot of just like op daily operations wow and so those shows tend to be a lot heavier with that it's a lot more like making sure they have everything and then you have to have someone with them all the time so you have a very long day that starts at eight in the morning and goes till midnight usually so you, you know i was the only one there at the time i have an i have an assistant now or i had an assistant when we were still open so but back then it was just me so there were days that i was there like the entire day and then when we got into show run i, was, I told my boss i was like someone else has to help me with this i'm not coming in during the day like this mm -hmm. is insane and they were doing rehearsals during the day so i was like i'll come for show call because we have haze and fires details so there's a lot yeah. It was also great because I didn't, I was going from, I was going back from being just the crew person and in charge of like maybe the flies or the stage ops to being in charge of the whole thing and having people ask me a lot of questions. So it was like trial by fire. Yeah. Which I prefer. It's how I learn fast is like, I do well in the chaos scenarios. So I'm like, let's go, go. There's no paperwork. There was no, you know, time parts were new, how we do. There was no tech packet when I started. So I had to build a tech packet that oh, had all geez. the drawings in it and like figure out what everything was. You know, we had the old one from the other before the renovations. So I had to like do all that stuff. So it was just a lot of like daily stuff. What does your day look like now? <laughs> well, I'm not there. So um, yeah. we're, we're closed, right? Because Boston yeah. is still on lockdown. Um, before, before I left, so back in March, before the, you know, that shit hit the fan, so to speak, um, we were, had just come off of Plaza Suite and we were getting ready. We were doing MasterChef Junior. It was like a little kids tour. They were like, <laughs> I felt so, it was so horrible. They had just started that tour and that was like, I think like their second or third city maybe. And they um, they found out they were canceling the tour there. And so they were like at the end of the show, cause we actually still did the show. We were going back and forth because cities were closing down and we were like, what do we do? We decided to go forward. We, we had like sanitizer. We really were like, please wear masks if you want to wear masks. We didn't know. I mean, no one knew what was going on. 
And then they pulled the kids and the kids were crying backstage because they were no. all so excited about the tour. And I got so uncomfortable. As Stephanie knows, I don't do well with any kind of like emotional moment. I was like, cool, I'm going to go back in my office. And I like, <laughs> went in there and closed the door because I could hear them crying. And I was like, the kids are ripping my heart out. But also, mm-hmm. this is so awkward and I don't know mm-hmm. them. So. Uh. Um, uh-huh. My days now, my days now are spent. Um, I'm doing some risk assessment work for um, a company, so oh, cool. I'm uh, doing a lot of like looking at how their company deals with um, like accidents and and also COVID protocols coming in and stuff like that. So um, I do that. I do a lot of education. I've been doing diversity and inclusion training. I've been doing nice. um, tons of COVID training. Yeah, I'm a huge fan i'll be honest i'm a huge fan of what's happening like we see you american theater mm-hmm. and groups uh being arts hero people that are calling out what is long-term gatekeeping and and, and just systemic racism in, in, yeah. in our industry to me is like so fantastic because i worked for companies where we're going to do a show and we're doing a show because it's the black show mm-hmm. like right like so like we've done we've done our part right we've 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 done an august wilson show we've done this you know filipino playwright and that's great i want them to do those shows but i don't want them to do it and go i'm checking the box yep i want them to nurture and go i'm doing this really amazing playwright like august wilson shows are amazing but don't check the box because it's an august wilson show and feel like you've done your part right like you know and are you trying to get people color in to see that show are you showing them the history of what's happening in that show and some some companies do they they show where he was at in his life when when it was written what was happening in history when these shows were written but that doesn't happen at every company. They're just saying, hey, come see the show. Wow. It, 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 what makes me ha- happy is that people are looking at how we operate from yeah. the top down. Because from the top down, right? So it's it's to me, it's so important that we're looking at who are we putting in these positions, what work is being done to kind of kill the gatekeeping. Yeah. And it's the same in TV, it's the same in TV film, right? So it's like you're seeing more directors of color and women and trans directors come in and that's great but we need to like really that shouldn't be like oh look there's one it should just be like they should have the opportunities all the time yeah 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 we're getting past that uh how did my friend put it it was like putting in some sort of code just to make sure your programming runs you know by saying hey we (laughs) we got one of them you know it's 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 ridiculous but i mean i've noticed a lot in yeah definitely tv and film with just the news recently seeing, you know, um, I think Misha Green, the showrunner of Lovecraft Country yep. is taking over the new you know, Tomb Raider sequel, which is going to be just freaking awesome. Uh, but yep. have you noticed uh, like a higher success rate in the conversion into a more inclusive uh, production basis? I mean, no, nothing's really happening right now as far as productions go or as much as they would be. But are you noticing a, a heavier shift or do you feel like it's in the just beginning stages of, of setting everything right? it's an infancy i think that okay. what's happening is you're you're hearing some like lip talk mm-hmm. from some of the companies some some of them are doing the work right so we see you american theater which is got this amazing kind of program they they essentially said you know we, we're, we're tired of this we're tired of working for broadway houses that make money on our backs on our stories on our work and and we're not being included from you know, the top down. I do encourage people to go actually see their website and their Instagram is quite, quite good. Yeah. We'll add it um, to the yeah, shout outs. But, but the reality is, is that like for a long time, money was made for white folk, you know, the, the producers, the directors on the backs of people of color. 
mm-hmm. of, 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 of pe- really talented people that just were not, you know, outside of like, hey, we picked your show, aren't you lucky? You know, here's some money, but they're not getting the same amount of money or the same amount of, you know, benefit in the mm-hmm. long run. Mm-hmm. And, it, and so I'm just happy that we're having the conversations now, but I'm just really hoping that companies are going to start doing the work to look at the company that they're presenting to the world because it's not just about the artist it's about the company as a whole it's like are you hiring designers are you hiring you know people in marketing and people in dramaturgy and people in all these different little departments that like are you hiring the best people and the people that are going to best represent your company yeah because we don't you know you don't pander to the white patron pander to like you know, what kind of a product do you want to be producing? What kind of a thing do you want to be turning out? That's what I I liked about American Utopia and David Byrne's piece was that he had such an interesting group of folks that he was working with. His message was, you know, we should be doing the work and we should be having these conversations and we should be looking at what we consider, you know, our homes and our families um, and and what's happening kind of everywhere. And he has... um, really spent a lot of time being like, I'm in a position to have these conversations and I want to have these conversations. And it's so great that he did that. Like that was one of my favorite shows to work on, to be honest. I mean, one, cause it's a rock, it's a rock style show. I love those shows. Hedwig was another show I liked working on because mm. I love the format of Hedwig. I really am a rock person. I'm a music person. When those are translated well, I think that's why I liked Waitress at the end was because a lot of it was based on music and, and the narrative um, in that way, um, yeah. non-traditional. But, um, but yeah, no, I really, I really liked what he did with that. How, um, I mean, I guess that kind of answers a part of the question that I was going to ask is how does um, places like the Colonial, which are touring houses and therefore don't really do programming in the same way that the ART or the Hunt or whatever would do, how do you uh, and, the, and the Colonial kind of ensure that you are also, you know, making sure that you're being inclusive and, and doing all of the things? I'll tell you right now, we're just starting to do that work because yeah. we do program. We do. We, we bring okay. in shows. So we do both, right? Okay. Um, Boston is a notoriously rough town to do shows in mm-hmm. because people that do a tour of the few tours that are, you know, heavily, uh, uh, you know, people of color, artists, or like, so the, I hate saying this, but like the whiz, people always use the whiz as an example, right? But if they're saying they're in the whiz, if I was in the Wiz, I wouldn't want to take it to Boston because they'd be like, who's coming to see the show? Because their folks are being priced out of being able to see the show and they're not really putting the show as an accessible thing. Um, though you have Alan, Alvin Ailey that comes and they do really well in Boston. So there's this kind of like real split between how you can do a show there and do really well and how you can do a show and, and not really, you know, bring in the people that you are hoping will come in and connect mm-hmm. with the show. So I think that we're in a position now that we're starting to do more programming because we were only open for, you know, less than two years, really, um, to be able to have those conversations and say, where are we at? And the company has made a commitment to really saying, where did these, what are we bringing in? And are we making the effort to bring in um, different shows that um, will have, you know, our conversation starters and are really speaking to everybody because it's a diverse community here. Right. And, and, really old buildings are historically overwhelming, I think, for some people to come to because it's, it's a lot of money involved on, on, on coming in. I mean, I didn't, I grew up very lower middle class. We didn't go to shows very often. Mm-hmm. It was a big deal to go to a show. Mm-hmm. Like it was like this big night out experience and making these venues more accessible to everybody. Like, come on in. Like, we want you to be here. We yes. want to have these conversations. We want to have, 
you know, people sitting next to folks that they may not sit next to and have conversations, see these shows and have conversations. And then sometimes it's not like, it's just a, it's like, it's a musical thing. You know, we do a lot of musical stuff too. So it's like, you know, just a concert. But we had like Latin history for morons. That was a really great show and it did really well. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah that's what I really liked when I worked in um, DC before I was up in Boston, um, the uh, Shakespeare theater there every, at the beginning of their season every year is they remount a show that they did a few seasons ago. And it's like, super cheap pricing tickets are easier to like I mean tickets aren't easier to get because they sell so quickly because they're so cheap like they do this this thing to get more people in the community to come and see a show like that wouldn't normally be able to afford it otherwise and um I love I love loved that idea and I um I know that's a hard thing to do for certain places but that's the kind of thing that I always think is it's not just that from the head down um, that there's this systemic racism, but there's also just this, the, we're not getting multicultural audiences in because, you know, the, the systemic racism in our country, they don't, ha- they like don't have the money to do that and come and see also, shows it's and do cla- stuff. It's classism. And, it's yeah. 100% classism. Yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, only the people that could afford the ticket should be in the space. And I'm like, right. yeah, because well, you charge $150. I mean, like, it's the Hamilton thing. People paying $800 yep. to see this show, which is, it's, it's a, I mean, I might not like it. It's a, it is a very interesting show. And I think it does, it has a beautiful message. I think it does a lot of great stuff. It's just not my style of show. I right. shouldn't say, I don't hate the show. It's not the show that I would sit through because I just don't dig it. But it, 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 it was creating a conversation and really allowing people to look at, kind of American history in a different way. And he did some beautiful work. I and mean, he, he is so creative and such an interesting yeah. person. Um, I think that the classism part of what happens in America with mm-hmm. theater, with art in general is really just brutal because it's mm-hmm. like you keep people from having a, a, this really amazing connection moment because you think that they don't belong. And that's right. a long-term thing. That's not, I mean, that's opera. Totally. That was ballet for a long time. It was, you know, it's a, it's for rich white people. That's that's yep. what it was built on. It was like, hey. And it's created Come. by poor people of all kinds. Like that's what's I think I love so much about this podcast is, is so many of the people we talk to are not, you know, big celebrities or people who are actively making huge amounts yep. of money but we do this because it's what we're passionate about, but we are in a way catering to these people who can, you know, are, are of the upper classes. And it's unfortunate because we would like to be catering to more than that. And it's just, yeah, it's an yeah. artist class. I mean, we have yeah. an artist class and, and there's been a loss of the artist class, right? The artist class has been pushed into just lower middle class. That's right. that with the exception of, you know, folks that, make big money doing this and god bless them that they do that but right. the average artist is doing you know is, is a middle to lower middle class and it's just right. this kind of um weird way that we've pushed you know if you do art don't don't think that you should be making any money you right. should be sacrificing for this art and i was like that's just it makes me so sad because it is a deterrent from people to say go be an artist it's mm-hmm. saying you're going to be poor your whole life and it's like no you shouldn't be poor i i'm not i mean i've i've struggled with money in the past but i've been able to make a career out of this for 25 right. years my husband longer than me and um and i think that we should be promoting it as an option you know it, there's a downside to it which is at times of covid when mm-hmm. being public access is part of our job that's really hard I think it's really interesting is that we're seeing right now kind of where our Achilles heel is and how we can 
Um, I'm not going to say pivot because I hate that goddamn word so much. <laughs> it's a brutal word. It is. It's like just because people are like just pivot, and I'm like, it sounds so easy. Like you're turning, like just turn this way. It's your entire career. Like that's yeah. not something you just turn around and do. Like go yeah. work there for a while. Yeah. But um, I think that we're looking at ways that we became so dependent on connection in a very personal way, in a very physical way, how we can continue to do this and not be so dependent on that. Because this is not the last pandemic we're going to face, right? We know mm-hmm. that as it's just how we are evolving as a as a as a planet. But um, but how we can kind of like take where the takeaways from this to be able to continue to make art because what was interesting is to see who really was able to continue to make art. Now they weren't making any money on it, which is the really sad part. People were making amazing music and amazing virtual shows and um, you know, TV film content through the roof. Like people were just like, how can we continue to push things out? Um, but people weren't all making money on this. Now mm-hmm. we need to go to the next part, which is you should be paid for this content. You know, mm-hmm. you should be paid for your music. You should be paid for these virtual things you're doing. It's amazing because like classical artists were doing, classical music artists were doing, you know, I want to get my, my art out there. I, I wrote these pieces. But like when they were like, I want some, you know, would you pay money for this? People were like, you should just be putting it out there. And I'm like, no, they should be making money. They Like they're mm-hmm. not making any money and they're not being supported by the government for unemployment. So it's like, you have to create cater and create and, and and thrive, create this, you know, ecosystem for them to be able to still create, not in a personal market, you know, a virtual market, but be able to make money on it. Absolutely. What's yeah, the crazy. like virtual show or um, outreach support like on the East Coast? Because over here in, in Colorado, there's some, you know, there's some bigger venues that will offer like some sort of support or sponsor type activities to um, you know, smaller theaters we have over here, like Su Teatro, which is mainly like a, a Latin American uh, based theater uh, venue. But is there anything out there right now, whether it's, you know, uh, reaching out to do virtual shows and offering streaming services through that or uh, offering support through smaller, uh, maybe outdoor theater venues? Have you noticed any anything that's uh, occurred out there uh, in Boston? The NFP, right? So the, not for, the not-for-profit market is killing it. They're the ones that are Perfect. doing virtual shows um they're doing um going back to like radio style shows where it's just mm. vocal and you're not getting a full production which i think is really cool because it's 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 an you know the, the podcast brought back kind of the idea of that you're listening to someone's voice and it's allowing you to have this moment with them it's a connective moment being able to do that with plays and 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 you know just dialogue is a really interesting thing to me so that's happening a lot as well as virtual shows outdoor shows in the northeast are totally based on weather which in the summer some places were able to do it a little bit boston we had a dance venue that could do live music or dance in cambridge like spaced out and it was interesting because dance which is not a heavily supported market up here anymore it used to be really big but now it's like you know, there's not a lot of places that still have dance studios and like it's hard for them to book out spaces for, you know, that are affordable. They were given a place to really go hear some dance because dance does not need to be people touching, people mm-hmm. holding. You know, they have a really, they were able to to, to share their their talents and their art in a way that was um, uh, safe, which was so really cool. Um, but I think that we're just starting, I think this summer is when you're going to see people mm-hmm. really come to the forefront of like, how do I how do I connect with my, with my patrons and my, and my, um, and my guests in a way that um, I can really like maybe make some money and, and, and like produce something of, of, what they, of quality. I mean, it's always a quality, but of, you know, traditional quality. Um, because I just think that people, 
um, also with the change in, in, in administration at a federal level, I think there'll be more support for it with the states, hopefully, because you don't have someone that's like, this isn't, is, I mean, we're not essential. That's what everyone says. Yeah. We're not essential. Like art's cool and art's great, but we don't need it. We do need it. It's, mm -hmm. it, it keeps people going. It keeps people's mental health up. People need to feel that connection. They need to feel heard. They need to hear their stories getting out there. It makes them feel less alone and isolated. And so I think that now that we have a different administration that's a little bit more on the, how do we help artists thrive and, and federally be able to supplement them. I'm hoping states will kind of match up with that too. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about um, the uh, group you're, you've joined or have become uh, a part of? Yeah. So Mass Live Events Coalition is a state chapter of the Live Events Coalition, which was, and when we say live events, this is very confusing for people. It's anything that you buy a ticket to, you're invited to, you go to that is produced in some way. So it could be a bar mitzvah, it could be a social, like socials of weddings, you know, anniversary parties, but it's also entertainment. It's conferences, it's anything that you're like going to, right? So mm -hmm. this very large industry, which almost never really connects within itself, like exhibits and commercial work, that's over there. And then theater's over here. And then, you know, socials are over there. They don't really talk. They had a moment of being like, we're all screwed. How do we come together and kind of do something? Because we were being ignored. We're still being ignored. It's mm -hmm. the, one of the only, you know, restaurants also really hardly hit they were getting their messages out, right? We People were like, yeah, but no one really cares about live events. And the millions, I mean, it you, you'll hear 12 million as a, as a number that's thrown around a lot. It's actually way more than that because some of it's independent contractor, it's, you know, it's um, bartenders and people that work in the venues. So venue services and security and all this stuff like that. So in mass, uh, I was in furloughed until May. I was still like advancing shows. Oh, nice. We were trying to figure mm -hmm. out what was going on. Um, and so I had a little time and I said, oh, you know, there's all these people, we're not having these conversations. And there were other people that were also saying that locally. So we said we should do something. And by June, when I had been furloughed and we noticed that the state was not really wanting to have conversations about, you know, when will you be able to reopen? Like it was not even part of the, it's still not part of the conversation, to be honest. Um, a bunch of us said, like, we should go do a rally. And so we did one at the state house, like right in front of the state house. And it had a really great response. And people came with their own signs being like, you know, I need support. We need support because the $600 was ending for a lot of mm -hmm. folks, right? And at the end of July, and some people were just like, what am I going to do? Because that was the only thing keeping people. If people yep. could get unemployment, if they were able to, if they weren't like independent contractors where PUA was like a whole thing that they had to deal with, if you were in the unemployment system, that $600 was allowing you to survive. Um, and with the loss of that was just like detrimental to so many families. And so we did that and then we just kept growing. And our, for Massachusetts Live Events Coalition, our, while we're with the LEC, which is national, they do policy, that's their big thing. So that's like, who are we talking to at a national level in administration to get support? Like, like the Save Our Sages Act and they had Red Alert Restart, all these acts that they were trying to get together. Locally, we're about the worker. So we're about the person at a local level who's food insecure, who doesn't understand how unemployment works, who needs help with their rent, or mortgage support, like that's what we do. So we go, cool. how can we help you? Like, what what do you need from us? And we, we're about, we don't do fundraising that goes to people necessarily right now. What we're doing is getting the resources together. So we do um, a thing called um, Hanging Tough, which is like a, <laughs> it's because it, we needed a, a Massachusetts-based name and one of our <laughs> 
board members is a big new kids on the block fan. <laughs> <laughs> Massachusetts based. It's very dated. You have to be a certain age. I happen to remember when they were at their biggest because my sister was obsessed. Um, but uh, but yeah, so um, we call it hanging tough. Uh, and it's it, it had a great response. So we did one about unemployment that went through all the different programs and where the state was kind of managing that stuff. And then we did one about um, all the different groups that like that were so save our stages and all the acts that were there because we found that people didn't really understand legislation. It's very hard to mm-hmm. understand. Mm-hmm. And so that was a lot of what we did. Now we're looking at mental health. That's the next one we're looking at is just like mental health support because this is now going to be a year and it's going to be a lot longer at the yep. end of the day, right? Like, so if you're in theater, if you're in commercial theater, you're looking at the end of 2021. And that's a brutal thing to look at. Like, how do you go from stopping in March, to December of 20, uh, you know, March of, you know, 2020 to mm-hmm. December of 2021? That's a huge amount of time to go by. So we're just like trying to think of how we can support them. So we're doing stuff like that. We're doing, um, you know, resume workshops and stuff like that. We're trying to think about how these people need help. And we ask them too. We have a lot of conversations with like, what do you, what do you guys want? And at That's the same awesome. time working with trying to have like conversations with the governor's reopening committee here because we're Massachusetts specific. Um, but the mental health thing is something we're going to do that's going to be pushed to national. It's actually being done by a, a McLean Hospital, which is a really well-known mental health hospital here that has a program and is very handled, you know, set up to handle this kind of stuff. And, and they're going to help us kind of promote that you, if you need help, ask for it. Like there's no shame. There's no stigma. We're all we're all in these really crazy times where nothing makes sense. And if you need help, just ask for the help. Like that's what makes me sad is that people are afraid to ask for it. Mm-hmm. That's like incredible. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It makes that, me sad. Like food insecurity, right? Like yeah. if you're hungry, I want to help you figure out how you can get groceries because there's SNAP and there's EBT and there's all these things that you can do. But people go, I'm really embarrassed. Like they'll, mm-hmm. they'll, I've had people reject me and say, I don't, I didn't want to post on the big group. I wanted to send you a message because I'm so embarrassed. And I was like, why are you embarrassed? Like, I know we grew up thinking that like, you know, kids that I'm a kid that got, you know, financial aid in when I was growing up to do lunch. I'm, my, mm-hmm. parents, I, I, my, my parents needed help feeding us. Right. So um, we did that in Brookline and I always got like, I always felt kind of weird about it. Cause like it was, you, you knew cause the lunches were a little different. I don't believe that there should be a stigma around. I think it's a horrible thing that this is a failure of our government and a failure right. of this country to have food insecurity. I don't think the people that are suffering from it should be stigmatized and treated so differently because they somehow failed in feeding themselves. Like that's insane. Yeah. Like that's not okay to me. So that's something that we look at stuff like that. Yeah. It, it you know what? I felt the same way about unemployment last year about, about filing. Cause it, honestly, most people that uh, at least I know who work in the arts also worked in the restaurant or, or bar yeah. business. So both sides of your income were completely cut off and suddenly we're like, well, we're on unemployment. We're in, uh, you know, uh, well into our career. We feel like we should be where our parents were. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you exactly. know, like if our parents were at that level of, oh no, I'm financially stable. And um, if any of you who are listening out there, you know, like we, we're all in support of each other. Like we're, we're relying on unemployment. We're relying on, on, um, you know, getting some food assistance and it's not embarrassing, no. at, especially right now. I feel like, a lot of us, especially like Steph and I, we talk about it all the time. We almost feel like we're alone in this in some weird way. Like, oh my God, how am I stuck here? But there are, like you said, millions of people who are in the exact same spot. Yeah. Uh, you're so, not seeing them up close. We're, right, yeah. we're, if you're in the arts, you're used to connection, right? Green yep. rooms, hanging out, sitting on a stage, 
waiting to do your shot and you're all sitting there waiting on a director for how long because they're working out or your VP is working on something or you know you're just sitting around shooting the shit and now people feel so separated because they're not having those moments they can have them online you do have to search them out and even online like it's embarrassing because there'll be someone that you don't know that reads it right it's not always private conversation I think that that's where we're at and I think Tyler it's a really important thing to keep telling your folks is like don't be embarrassed like we're in survival mode, right? Yeah, like yeah, a whole oh, totally. Planet, it's not just us, like right, the whole planet, except for like Australia and New Zealand, because they're like magic butterflies over there. But, you know. Please take us, take us. Well, to it's Zealand. like so funny. Well, it's so funny because you look at. I always say this, but people go, well, "I don't understand why it's working there," and I said, "Because it's not I, it's we." Mm-hmm. South Korea, it's not I, it's we. There are cultures that said, "Take myself out of the moment, do what the government is asking." which is, you know, can be dangerous depending on what it is, but mm. also the idea of like, don't think about the I, think about the we, what is going to get us to this position? We're still a country that doesn't do that very well. Nope. Because um, freedoms. What? Yeah, we love our freedoms. Um, <laughs> and we can't all agree what the correct pathway out is. Yeah. But I think that um, I think that we need to make the effort to make sure that our friends and our families are, are, are taking care of themselves because we all need to survive to move on to this. And especially you know, artists and creatives that have less sometimes support systems and, and restaurant. I'm a huge, huge proponent of supporting these organizations that literally feed you in some way. They feed your soul, they feed you art, they feed you food because they're some of the lowest paid and the lowest supported and lowest benefit given groups. It's like you choose to open, you go to be a restaurant, even if you're like a sous chef, you don't get paid a lot of money, you work brutal hours and you don't get benefits, nope. right? Because for the for the for the privilege of working in a kitchen yep. and feeding other people, and that to me makes me really sad because these people are sometimes the heart of their communities. Their restaurants are the heart of their communities. They create community inside their buildings. Their employees become extensions of the neighborhood. They give back to the neighborhood because they don't always eat in the restaurant, and they'll go eat and, and and support like you know the coffee shops and stuff like that. So it's like us not supporting those people makes me really sad. And when we're all able to come back, everyone that was home with their jobs and stuff goes well you know there's nowhere to eat around here anymore and i'm like well yeah because you didn't support them exactly. yeah yeah it's like this, you had a moment to be part of a solution and you chose to be like well no i don't want to do with that and it's just like buying a gift card like right so yeah. if the restaurant's doing takeout do takeout in a safe way that you're comfortable doing that you don't feel like you're being putting yourself at risk but support these businesses like my chinese food restaurant which is a town over like they closed and my <sighs> husband and i had a on freak out because no. they we've been eating the same we're like old people we get like the same order every time <laughs> but we they, i love them they're great it's a family-run restaurant they just had a note saying we're closed this was really early in the pandemic and i was like oh my god and then they reopened because they we found out that they were getting so much um shit for being asian back when <gasps> and like you know getting, getting supported very well and so i we made it a point of just like ordering food all the time because we love them and we wanted them to survive i want to see them when we come out of this i want to see you know we have a a family that has a bunch of taco places which up here is an unusual thing we don't have a, a heavy latino market in boston shocker um <laughs> but like like mama needs tacos like i i can make my own but i'm also lazy i don't have time like my nana did to like do all her tortillas and like all her stuff because she made her own everything she was like a magical kitchen bruja but like i need food and i want to support these places i want places to exist because these are these are people that took care of me like when i was working crazy hours and i'd get mm-hmm. food and takeout and like you know your local pizza joint so 
I just feel like it's the same way for the arts as well. Like support these places that you want to go to when you come back. Support these people that you want to provide you with this service when you come back. Because art is a service. We're providing, you know, content to people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, do you know if, so the Live Events Coalition is national. Do you know if there's other states that have yeah. their own? Is it? Yeah. Do, okay. Um, California I, has a big okay. one. Um, I know. So New York, New Jersey, I think they're actually separated now because <laughs> they were both kind of big. Um, I know that I think Connecticut just started one and, and they're, and they're actually just organizing. So actually, if you are in a community that doesn't have one, you can create one. And, okay, and um, cool. yeah, if you reach out to national, they have a way that you can look at kind of like what the parameters are. You do have to get enough people because you want to have a board eventually. Um, we do the board, um, so that it's run like a not-for-profit and, and it's a little bit more, um, able to do you're able to rotate people out and you know so you people are voting on stuff and and it's a coalition where the membership is really speaking it does have a paid membership for the national however you are someone that would benefit at the time from a sponsored benefit membership which means nothing changes you get the exact same amount much like the school lunch your lunch looks the same as everybody else's mm-hmm. lunch, right we want you guys to be part of the conversations that are happening and we don't want the monetary part of it to be why you don't become a member yeah. um so they have sponsored memberships that so you can jump in and do that for a year if you wanted to and it's paid for you don't have to worry about it it's the same as everybody else's so i actually recommend that if you're in a position where financially i think it's like 75 dollars. so if 75 dollars is a lot for you which it is that's a bill that's your rent that's a lot of stuff right so if you can't afford that there are ways around that um there's groups like extend pua which i highly recommend um extend pua their entire point is the worker and worker benefits. So they are all about extension of um, CARES Act, extension of everything. And they're um, started by um, Stephanie and Grant who are both in entertainment and needed support and felt like there was just no one having those conversations. And now they're doing like a whole virtual conversations with senators in different nice. states. And this is not just for entertainment, this is anybody. This is anybody as a worker that needs help. I, I, I extend PUA is a really great group. They have an excellent resource page that has a lot of stuff like food help, rent help. Um, and you can reach out to them if you don't find what you need. They're, they're good at getting back to you. They have everything's a volunteer there. That's awesome. All of these groups are volunteers. No one gets paid for this. So right. um, I like them. If you're in the arts, um, Be an Arts Hero is a great one too which is not a membership or a coalition, but it really is a group that's doing advocacy work for folks in the arts. So there are people out there. I think you just need to find them. Um, And if you can't find your person, um, you should let these folks know on this podcast and they will tell me and I will send you a message. Like I'm here. You don't have to be in Massachusetts for me to help you. I'm, I'm the queen of like, tell me where you live and I'll find you. Like if you need a ride to get your, your COVID shot. If you, if you're lucky enough to be able to get one, like yeah. there are people like me that just, just want to help. Like I just yeah, want to help yeah. people. Production management is literally about um, efficient operations. And I have nothing that I'm efficiently operating right now. So this energy <laughs> needs to go somewhere else and I want to help people. Um, and it's harder if you're in a small, like even Colorado, right? So if you're in places where smaller towns, you just feel kind of like you're really isolated, especially for folks that had to, maybe we're based out of New York and then had to move because of the pandemic Yeah, out of major markets. They're really isolated from like their friends and their communities now because they're no longer in New York or in LA or Vegas. A lot of folks that were in Vegas that worked for like Cirque and stuff left yep. because they couldn't afford to stay. It was too expensive. Yeah. 
Definitely. Definitely. Please reach out to us and, and we yeah. will work with all of the people we've had on here and, um, and try to get you whatever help we can. That's, that's part of why we're here for sure. So. Yeah. We're, we're shooting that, that mental health target right in mm-hmm. the center. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Every single week. Um, since we're running a little short, I am very curious uh, about your uh, party story because you mentioned before we started recording that you have many, but have to keep them somewhat secret. So, what do you what do you have in mind for a fun? I did a show that had a really well known actor who was a little bit older, who had been on um, a show that was kind of like a teen show. And it was pretty well known and uh, had a drinking problem. Mm. And so, uh, you know, which is not funny. Obviously, alcoholism is not funny. But when you didn't know that and you spend most of your time in a booth programming your little lights and you come out and you hear humming like someone's like having a little party in a closet. And uh, when you go into said closet and he's in there kind of having a dance party on his own with a bottle of wine that he took from the bar oh, and you're kind of like my goodness yeah it was amazing and so I opened the door and I went oh I'm so sorry and he goes very straight face we are busy in here you and I went word that's all I said I said word and I just closed the door and walked out yeah it was oh, pretty awesome my goodness and that... I was like, do I tell somebody? And then I went to company <laughs> management and I was like, listen, I'm not going to tell anybody else but you guys because you guys got to deal with it. And they were like, listen, every fucking day it's something. Like we find him fucking passed out. They found him oh, in a geez. fucking soft goods hamper sleeping one day. Oh, and I was like, man. maybe you should have a conversation about how your firing practices work. Like, he came with the show. And the show was from somewhere else. It was like a co-pro kind of deal. Right. But yeah, there was that. I've had, I've had, um, I've had um, like Broadway actors that have, um, uh, hooked up with people in my office um that no 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 like, oh yeah um where i i kind of walked in and they were making out with somebody and i said cool why are you in here because my office is right off the a stage like a stage side like it's yeah in the corner and i leave my door open sometimes when i'm not there also because i have an assistant so he's running in and out depending on the show <laughs> i walked in and they were making out like her skirt was up but her undies were still on oh and like doing and i literally was like i said what are you guys doing and he goes, uh, excuse me? And I was like, no, no, excuse me, because you're in my office. And he was like, oh, I'm sorry. And he's like, so we should go. And I went, yeah, we should go so I can do payroll because you're like in, in front of my desk. Like, I can't, I can't get to anything. I'm not just going to yeah. sit here and do payroll while you guys are doing yeah. your thing over there. Oh, my yeah. God. Have you ever had a peer backstage? I've heard those stories. People who just pee what, in the back. Urinate? Yep. Yeah. 100 percent yeah I, I will i will say um because guys haven't much e- i mean I, I did rock shows so i have like weird stories i have stories of like people peeing in their quarters of the bus but then oh, missing and, and then because they were fucked up and then peeing on the person that sleeps below them in the bunk never no! me but yeah like having a little golden shower morning is what they called <laughs> it but like i had a friend that um it was a friend we don't really talk anymore but he and i were on the same kind of mini tour on a bus um where he um he passed out 
while jerking off and I still had a Polaroid camera at the time. So I took a photo of him where he had fallen asleep and like had his dick in his hand. But also had like a pack of Twinkies and the, and a porno, like a VHS porno bot from like the the gas station on the <laughs> camp. And we all got, we had gone to get like food. Yeah. Um, we had been at a food place for a while and came, had margarita night, came back and he said he didn't feel well. And then we were like, oh, what the fuck? And I was like, no, I'm taking a picture of this. So I took a Polaroid. And then when he got married, uh, I, I uh, made a copy of it and then sent it to him. In his oh, wedding my book. goodness. Yeah, he's not married anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're, I think we're just not, we're not like really close because he doesn't like Facebook and I don't yeah. like him that often. And yeah. He's a, he's a little older than me. So he's like in his 50s. And, uh, and but yeah, they, like there's, there's a lot, especially people if they were um, on the road in the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. not 70s too, but 80s and 90s, like that was just end days like it's just a lot of money and like just shenanigans oh this job yes, that we peers, have peers peers are a big thing and then remember that like if you're a fo- if you're a follow spot op and you're up in trusses they pee into a bottle for the most part. oh and, right no. so there's always that moment where you hear him go oh shit and i'm like did you miss the bottle and then they'll be like <laughs> what so they've definitely peed on people's heads Tyler's like never gonna go sit inside of a theater. No, I think I think I got peed on once. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. If you do like an arena rock show, you're either getting sweat or pee, or could you be like, oh, it's condensation from the HVAC system? Like if it's time Mm -hmm. appropriate, it's sometimes that's sweat and pee. Who knows? I fucking hope it was sweat. Oh my god! Wait, (laughs) hold on. I'd rather be. I would rather it's pee because pee is at least clean. Yeah. It's a more sanitary I, option of the two. Because of the handful of grid. <laughs> yeah, oh. I've had like guys, I've had rigging calls where where I've made someone so mad they've they've like hucked a loogie from like 70 feet of the grid and it landed like so close to me. And I'm always like, they're like, oh sorry. And I was like, really? We're gonna play this mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh that's oh, wow. true. We we didn't breach on this very much, but do you face any uh issue just being a woman in your position? I did really early on. Okay. Um, it is really funny. So my husband is a, a six foot five black man. And sometimes we'll be on calls, especially like corporate world where, and he's the head electrician when we, we work for the same company and, and people would be like, yeah, I'd be like, oh, you have to go talk to Gordon. And they'd be like, what are you talking about? And I was like, tall black guy, he's your head today. Mm-hmm. And they would have a moment where they just like couldn't wrap their head around that. And then I was like, what? well tomorrow it's me and then they mm-hmm. couldn't wrap their head like the short white girl is also in charge but so is the tall black man like it was like a lot of math happening in their head and then they would go like okay you know and then they would be like everything was are you sure about that and i'd be like yeah i'm fucking sure like anything like are we wiring it this way where's this power coming from it was always a second guess uh as you know i'm loud and i'm Tyler, just, you know, I'm five foot four, but you wouldn't know that unless you were standing next to me because my personality is rather larger than my height. Yeah. Um, having, um, you know, kind of hockey style yelling at people. Yep. I, had, I do it less now because I'm older and um, I get exhausted like a little kid when I get, I have a tantrum. Like, I don't take a nap. But um, go take a nap. I find that, I find that like, and because I swear a lot because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm from Mass and I talk like a trucker. Um, but I, uh, I've found it less as I've gotten older, I think, because of my cool. age. So they'll be like, oh, she's 44 and she does this and she's been doing this for a while. It's okay. 
Um, I think the guys like to go, okay, sweetheart, until I'm like, go fuck yourself. And I'll just like go off. And then they're like, wow. I'm, I'm sorry. And I was like, you, you fucking do that one more time. Or I'll call them sweetheart. I'm like, all right, baby, like mm-hmm. go do your fucking job. Or I'll send them home if it's a crew person. It happens very infrequently now, though, which is wow. great because the stewards are usually like, yo, you're, you're taking your life in your own hands. Mm-hmm. If I'm tired and crabby, I will rip someone's asshole wide open. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, but it, it's happened a lot less. When I was starting out, rigging 100%. I lucked out and had a guy that was in my union in Boston named Chris who um, was willing to show me how to rig during an opera season, a couple of opera seasons at Emerson. And, um, when I was in her class and he really helped me out, but the guys in the big house, like it, like the colonial, but also the other houses, they, it was a fight to get in mm-hmm. there. They didn't want to, um, they did, they didn't want to teach. They didn't, they're like, you can't let the one ton. I was like, fucking let's, let's go. I, and I'm not little, I'm a, um, I'm sizable. So like, I've got, you know, I've got the leg power to do this stuff. I've got the arm power to do this stuff. And once they saw me doing it and heard me talk essentially. And then someone would be like, how'd you learn how to talk like that? And I'm like, my dad's a contractor. Like I grew up on job sites. Like there's nothing I don't, yeah, and people always go, oh, 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 I'm sorry if I've offended you, and I'm like, okay, you know, mm-hmm. I'm big on the your mom jokes, which you're not allowed to do anymore. But I used to do that. It was an instant reply. It was like your wife, your mom, and they yep. didn't know what to do with it because they do like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, I love it, I love it, yeah, <sighs> yeah. Even even on waitress, like, even though all you wanted was just to chill and do your job and be done and whatever you do, you just have this aura of being in charge and kind of being in control about you that, um, it was, yeah, I was like, just gonna, I'm just gonna let, I'm, I'm not, I'm just gonna let Mercedes kind of do what she needs to do, what she wants to do. (laughs) If I have a question for her, I will, but yeah, I'm just gonna let her do her thing. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think it was funny because a lot of people like, Steve were, were shocked that I took that job because I had been the person hiring people for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And so folks were like, oh, she's slumming it. And I said to people, I made this very open Facebook post saying there is no slumming it in this mm-hmm. industry. Mm-hmm. A job is a job is a job is a job. Yeah. And people need to stop taking that stigma of like, oh, you're just a box pusher or you're just a flyman. And I really wanted to kind of bring that point home. But also when I go somewhere, they know I know things. So they'll be like, hey, you know how to do this. And then I'll be like, well, you're not paying me to do that. But also I want this job to go well. So I'll have that moment. You know? And that happened a lot on that show where they were like, yep. you know, someone would be like, dude, you know how to do this? And I was like, just give me the fucking wrench. And I would go fix something <laughs> just because I wanted to get through the day. Um, but I also hate setting that precedent. I always tell people yeah. don't set that precedent because you should be paid for your skill level, especially kids because they come in and they're willing to do anything for any money. And I'm like, make your money set your precedent your skill this is a trade i said this a million times in, in, in these podcasts but this is a trade it should be treated like a trade you should be paid appropriately you know eight out, eight out of 10s not 10 out of 12s i'm a big gordon yes. actually showed me this you know they're doing this 10 out of 12 um initiative that's coming out which i think is fantastic i'm really curious how they're going to get it through because it's such a systemic thing in our industry about like the long days starting yeah but as we know it's only an actor's eight out of 10 mm-hmm. for the tech people. Yeah. It's still a 14 hour day. Right. Yep. Um, so, you know, making, making people be paid appropriately and, and safely safe working environments. But yeah, like I like waitress. I always say that because people think it was so funny. I mean, I also took so many photos backstage. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I have so many of, I will actually say, I'll put them somewhere you can see them and I'll send you a link. That'd but, be awesome. Um, I love what we do. And I think it's such a unique thing that people don't get to see these processes that we do. 
they only see what's on the stage and I've like the days that people spend together and these moments they have like you know all these actors and tech people plank doing planks and having like planking competitions or you know sitting backstage and singing along and, and these connections they make are really important because mm-hmm. it's what keeps us um continuing to do this mm-hmm. you know this is a horrible people won't do this for 25 years of it's horrible mm-hmm. yeah we don't get paid exceptionally well for the most part so it's like there's a there's a love of this and there's a love of the environment and i think a lot of people don't get to see that yeah and I, I feel honored to do this for a living i say this a lot i mean i feel honored to have done this as long as i have and, and really been able to like do the ama- amazing amount of shows i've gotten to do because it's a rough job to do um but you, you come out of it when you see someone if you're able to see an audience which is i get to do often you get to see an audience really connect or cry or have that moment. Like I don't get feels for those are the feels I get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. I watch people this really short during American Utopia where he's um, there's a song where he's saying out the names of people that have been, have been killed by, um, by the police essentially, mm-hmm. or um, have been murdered. And he's talking about them. And I was watching this one woman um, when they got to, um, like a series of names and she just started crying and I think she was unprepared for it but it was like her having that moment of like you know the realization of like all of these names and it's only a handful of names in the song but um it, it really does and it's it's originally a Janelle Monae song but it's it, it's so impactful every time I hear someone do the song because it's all of these names it's like have this moment talk about these people uh, tell their stories and it's like so interesting seeing that connection of narrative I love that part of it and it's the same for you know if you do a recorded thing if you do tv film having that moment of of, of seeing someone and it, it connect with it you get just very excited because it's yeah. validation for what we do yeah, yeah definitely with uh you know the career you've had you know you, you've seen so much you've learned so much do you have I guess it'll be harder to ask because you can't really narrow it down to just one thing but do you have any advice for those who are either working in the arts now and struggling or trying to get into the arts during this very like tumultuous time? Do you have anything that can help push somebody forward into the arts career? Don't give up. I mean, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a rough year. Um, You may have to do something else, but doing something else doesn't mean you failed at this and you can't go back to it. Right. When we thrive as an industry, it's like crazy work and everybody's working and there's so many auditions and there's so much stuff. We're not there right now. We're at a point where it's like, will we have work again? Yes, we will have work again. People need what we do. It is, it is part of their days. They need to be able to, you know, do music or art or theater or whatever they're doing. You know, even if it's like conference work, they want to go, you know, meet these people and have these connections. So I think it is take these skills that you've learned so far, find something that allows you to survive so that you can come back when we can reopen safely and be able to do really well. And continue to educate yourself because there's nothing that you're going to learn perhaps working in 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 an office that won't translate to somewhere back when you're back in in the arts like you you will use all of this stuff for something Mm -hmm. like you know even if it's just like environmental like how to interact with people interpersonal interpersonal communication i think is a lot of something that a lot of people backstage don't learn as Stephanie will attest. Mm-hmm. Um, so people learning to work in an office environment and how to write emails and how to word something so that you don't sound yeah. like you're telling someone to go fuck themselves. That's, that's a, <laughs> sorry. That's, a, that's yeah, important. That's these, are, these are really important skills. And this is a time where you can learn that. You can learn how to maybe, you know, do something that you never learned how to do and you have a backup plan. But that doesn't mean give up on your dream. If you want to do the arts, you'll find a way to make it happen. Yeah. But you have to be patient. And if you're a student coming out of it, 
please know that those of us in the industry that have been in a long time, we think about you all the time. And mm -hmm. we are making a lot of this advocacy work that's happening is for what we feel are people that are in vulnerable positions. So people that are not unsupported. And one of those is students because they're going to massive amounts of debt to do this for a living. Because they really believe that this is their pathway forward. And I don't want them to feel like they're doing this and we're not recognizing it and, and worried for them and also feeling trying to figure out how we can get them in when the time is right. Yeah. And safe. It's all about safety. We don't want people going back to work because, you know, like don't open that amusement park because you can, because mm -hmm. you're going to make people sick. What's the point of it? If you're going to make people sick, if you're going to make right. the actors and the people that work there every day sick, don't do it. Like don't do your shows unless you know you can do them safely. Yeah. Absolutely. Your health is, your health is important. Yep. Because you'll lose it when you get older. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll lose your knees and you tell tear your ACLs and you're like, I shouldn't have learned how to climb that way. It was so bad. I, <laughs> I mean, your health is important. So take your health seriously. Absolutely. Ah, <laughs> uh, Mercedes, you're the best. This was so awesome. I was really looking forward to chatting with you and you did not disappoint. Yeah. <laughs> My um, pleasure. Thank you for thank asking. You. I love talking. Yeah. So. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah, continue to do this. Please continue to do these podcasts because I think what you're creating is a community when there isn't one and it's really important and you guys should be proud of what you're doing by creating community you. that is desperately needed because people yes. need to feel like they're having those moments and they're not. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's what we're hoping to do. We're every, every what you're week doing. we grow. So yeah, so that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. The whole inception of the of the show is to, you know, catch up with our friends who work in the industry and make sure they're yep. okay but also seeing what they've learned in the last year of complete shit Nonsense. and also <laughs> grace uh you know just uh things that are that are occurring but yeah I, I i appreciate you you saying that it's been a lot of fun for yeah. both of us i think that people when they do a podcast they're like i'm just doing this thing and and like hopefully someone listens but when you start gaining traction i think what you're creating is community and community yeah. is right now is, is is desperately in need so you should be proud Thank you. Thank I'm you. proud Thank of you. you. Thanks, Mercedes. That means a lot. Uh, you are like a mom. <laughs> I am. For someone who has no kids and will not have children, we're not having kids. I always make that comment. Like I'm like I'm like my I'm like my nana. I'm like you yeah. need to eat something. You're not eating anything. Like have you slept? Have you been asleep? Like please go take a moment. Please don't cry here. I know you want to cry. Go cry somewhere where you're not going to be seen because I know you're going to be uncomfortable about it. And everyone's like you are like a mom. And I'm like yeah, but I can hand these children back to somebody else. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> or they're old enough that I can also smack them around. And <laughs> that is true. Lucas will attest. Uh huh. Um. Listeners, uh, you heard it here. Mercedes knows that you're part of a community and you are an important community to us. And um, we really appreciate you sticking with us every week. And um, we will uh, continue to appreciate uh, you sharing this podcast with your friends and family, um, liking, subscribing, rating, reviewing, all of those fun things um, really helps us build the community that we're trying to create. So um, if you uh, want a free sticker, um, all you have to do is, is give us a, a review um, and send us an email to let us know uh, where you reviewed us so we can um, kind of get that out there and share that with people. Um, and then also please continue to like uh, us on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at PWRP podcast. And the whole rating sticker thing is honestly the easiest thing you'll do today. Yeah. Just yeah. do it. It doesn't cost anything. <laughs> it's Just so say, easy. These guys are great. That's all you need to do. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Five stars and then, you know, an analog smiley face. Right. <laughs> Colon and then half a parentheses. The good one, not the frowny face. Do something good. Uh, but yeah, honestly, it's the easiest thing you can do. Um, again, thank you so much if you've been tuning in and listening to these these episodes. We love doing it. We love having you listen and hopefully learning something along the way. Uh, if you'd like to be on the show, whether you're starting in the arts or have been involved in it for a while, we'd love to hear your story and have a chit chat. So email us at pwrp.pod at gmail.com. And we'll get back to you pronto because as I always say, we're both very underemployed. Mm-hmm. All right. This is the time for an awkward goodbye. I hope you're ready, Mercedes. <laughs> I love awkward goodbyes. Yeah. Awkward in general. Go for it. Bye. Bye. Bye.